An overview of what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about first the brain, and then the brain and the mind, and then the brain, mind, and body, and then we're going to put it together in the disorder depression, and then I'm going to leave you with five steps that you can take to have a healthier brain, mind, and body, and I can just go ahead and tell you right now that this is not going to be done on time. (laughs) Unless I talk faster than I have been. (laughs) Which is possible because my wife uh, commended me at lunch today at how slow I had been talking. (laughs) This is a brain. And the pictures that you're going to see are courtesy of my friend Brad Cole, who is a neurologist at Loma Linda University and associate professor of neurology at the medical school there. And this is a a human brain. I don't know how well we can see it. Can we do something with the lighting up here so we can see uh, this maybe a little better for the audience? Thank you. That's great. The part of the brain that you're seeing here, this is the outer part of the brain, three to five millimeter thick, called your cortex. And this is where the neurons that do our reasoning and thinking and, and really the higher functioning part of our brain is located in the, in the cortex of our brain. The majority of the neurons are actually not able to be seen because the brain has lots of folds in it. And those folds allow for the surface area to be expanded exponentially because of the, uh, the, the folding that goes through the gyri and the sulci. Okay, and uh, this is another picture of a, of a human brain. Now, the brain is divided into five general parts. And what we have here is the prefrontal cortex. Uh, excuse the frontal, cor- frontal lobe, and then up here is the prefrontal cortex, this section. And the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex, is where you do your thinking, your reasoning, your organization, your prioritization, your worship, uh, your uh, re- uh, reasoning capacity, conscience, power of choice, all those things in this part of the brain. The temporal lobe is associated with language, usually the left side for most people, and also in deep parts of the temporal lobe, I'll show you a slide in just a moment, we have the centers where we have most of our emotions and passions and drives, deep part of the temporal lobe. Interestingly enough, the temporal lobe, as I said, is where the, where the language centers are. And, you know, in James it says that the uh, man who has control of his tongue is a, is a, is a governed man or a, a mature man. And I wonder if there's some relationship there because the emotional drive center is out of the temporal lobe in our language. And so when we get upset and angry, it's just right out the, right out the mouth there. The uh, occipital lobe is where the processing portion of, vis- of vision occurs. When your eyes and retinas see uh, sight, they send the neural signals to the optic nerve back to the occipital lobe, which processes the data and gives us images for us to understand and see. And then the parietal lobe is, is associated with... Um, visual-spatial relationships and mathematics and so forth. The brain has 100 billion nerve cells, 100 billion nerve cells, and billions of more supporting cells in the brain. Each brain cell has up to 10,000 connections to other brain cells, which means there are over 40 quadrillion uh, connections in our brain. Uh, we We won't start counting on that number. The brain is soft like a banana, in a hard case, your skull, and that means it's subject to injury if there's a rapid deceleration. For instance, you're in a car accident, your head hits the windshield, the brain comes slapping against the inside of your skull and then back against the back of the skull, and you can bruise your brain and get knocked unconscious. When people get concussions, they generally bruise their brain like this. Uh, The brain weighs about three pounds, which is, depending on your body size, one to two percent of your total body weight, but the brain uses 20% of your body's energy. 
It's the, it's the processor. And think about a computer. The computer processor is using all kinds of energy when you're, when you're demanding work of it. And the brain, of course, is processing everything that, that we do. So it uses 20% of the body's energy. This is the deep part in that temporal lobe I was telling you about called the limbic system. Oops. Okay, limbic system. There we go. Uh, and this is a center for new learning comes through here, hippocampus memory. And we're going to talk in some detail about the limbic system here in just a moment. But basically for this picture, I want you to understand it's a different, deeper portion of the brain that has to do with our emotions and our drives. I would say the brain, the brain and the mind. The brain is the hardware. If you think about a computer, the brain is the hardware and the mind is the software. And in order for a computer to run well, you've got to have hardware that works well, and you have to have software that works well. Uh, think about the language. Each, each person in here, I assume, has an English software package. That English software package you were not born with. That was uploaded after birth. Now, I know there's a pastor here that I met at lunch who's from China, and I believe he has a Mandarin software package that was uploaded after birth. And I know there are people here who speak Spanish as their primary language, and that was uploaded after birth. We do not come into the world with that software or that understanding of that language in our brain. The brain is the hardware. It's prepared to receive this operating system. Likewise, our, our worship, what we believe, relationship issues, all this complex stuff that we do is part of the software, part of the mind. The mind is the software, the brain is the hardware. The character is part of the mind, not part of the brain. And aren't you glad because we're going to get a new brain when the Lord comes? The mind and the brain impact each other. We are not genetically programmed to play chess or read ancient hieroglyphics or, or play the piano. However, if you choose to engage in any of these activities, as you make the choice to do these activities, the brain hardware will begin rewiring itself to accomplish the tasks. So the brain will change play, based on the demands that you place upon it. And I'm going to give you a lot more detail about that as we go into our lecture today. Physical disease and illness affect the brain, which in turn affects the mind. Think about Alzheimer's dementia. Alzheimer's dementia is a disease in which amyloid proteins get deposited in the brain. These proteins are toxic to brain cells and starts killing off the brain cells. The hardware starts dying. And as the hardware dies, then the mind can't function as well because the mind operates on the substrate of the brain. You think about a computer. If you had a computer at home and somebody opened the hard drive and scratched up the hard drive with a pen, it doesn't matter how good the operating system for Microsoft is it's not going to run right because the hardware is not, is not functioning like it should. People who have strokes, there are certain types of strokes. Have you ever noticed somebody or known somebody who's had a stroke and they can't express the language? They can't really talk right, but they can understand. They can understand what's being said to them and they understand language and they can even read and understand language, but they can't speak right because the hardware that's responsible for taking what the mind knows and what the mind wants to say and making that translate into the body's actions, the mouth speaking, that hardware has been damaged by the stroke. We can experience a healed character here and now. God's plan to heal and restore us is a plan of character restoration, restoring us into Christ's likeness. But we don't get the healed body and the healed brain until the second coming. That's when the mortal puts on immortality and this corruption puts on incorruption. It's not possible to have a functioning mind without a brain. 
Now, that may sound obvious, but there are actually a lot of Christians who don't know this. There are lots of Christians who believe that the mind can function outside the body, right? That there's some part of us that goes on thinking and reasoning and, and doing all types of worship, and, and, and they try to communicate to people. Some, some people believe you can go to a seance and communicate to somebody who is still thinking and reasoning. Their mind is still working outside their body. Uh, there is no biblical evidence for this. The Bible is that the mind works on the substrate of the brain. So you cannot have an operating mind without a brain for it to work upon. But you can have a living organic brain without a mind. You can have hardware tissue, brains that are alive, the tissue is alive, but there's no mind in, on, on that hardware working or operating. The brain doesn't make intelligent choices. The mind makes intelligent choices. The brain has hardware responses. If you actually heard a loud bang right now and you all startled, that is a hardwired, hardwired reaction from your brain. Your mind then interprets what the brain has just reacted to and says, oh, it's a car backfiring and calms you down and tells you it's okay. The mind, is, the mind interprets the data. The brain reacts to stimuli. Every thought, every choice has a biological correlate. What that means is if you go outside, and as my wife did today on our, our way home, our way uh, for lunch, I walked out and I said, man, it is hot. <laughs> and she goes, it's glorious. <laughs> you see, that, that appreciation of the sunshine, if we were to do a PET scan, just to be able to look around and say, boy, this is wonderful. There's a biological event happening in the brain. If you look up at the sky and say, that's a blue sky. There's a biological event happening in the brain. You can't think a thought without a biological event happening in your brain. The reason I tell you that is because scientists will, will do uh, exams on people's brains, find activity associated with certain types of behavior, and they'll say, ah, oh, the, 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 this must be biologically wired this way. Not necessarily true. Your mind operates on the brain, so anything you think, there's a biological event uh, related to those thoughts. The brain receives data inputs such as touch, sound, taste, smell, sight. The, the brain is receiving the data input from our sensory organs, but the mind interprets the meaning of the data input. So if you consider a painting, the brain will register on various colors, shapes, sizes, and so forth, but the mind will interpret what that means. Thus, if we have defects in the hardware, if the hardware is not working right, then the mind doesn't get the information it needs to be able to make healthy decisions. And this is some obvious things like somebody who has got problems with blindness or deafness or inability to taste or smell, or people just with bad vision. And with bad vision, they look and they, and they misperceive something and they, and they think a lion is coming at them and it's really a Great Dane. See, the, the, brain, the mind will make a decision. Lion, I've got to take a different action, you see? Uh, it's a, uh, so the mind is working fine, but the information coming to the mind isn't being, uh, is, is not as accurate. This can happen with strokes, with tiny little strokes inside the brain, Alzheimer's dementia, as the, as the brain uh, begins to atrophy away with Alzheimer's dementia. The, the brain doesn't give the mind the data accurately, and so the mind makes inappropriate conclusions and processes information, information inappropriately. Schizophrenia, by the way, would be another one of these disorders in which there are hardware defects in the brain itself such that the information really never makes it appropriately to the mind. The primary purpose of every organ system of your body is to serve your brain. 
Think about it. The heart beats to give blood and oxygen and nutrients to your brain. The lungs breathe to give oxygen to your brain. The liver works to detoxify toxins from impacting and and hurting your brain. Every organ system's primary purpose is to serve your brain. Your arms and your legs get you around and interact so your brain can interact and gather data uh, with its environment. Every organ system's primary purpose is to serve the brain. Thus, if a heart is beating in a body with no brain, it does so without purpose. Do you understand? If the body is diseased because the organ's primary purpose are to serve the brain, if the body is diseased and we have diseases of our organs, it will undermine the, the health of the brain. And thus the, the health principles in God's word were never a system whereby we could save ourselves by eating the right foods and, do, and so forth. It was, a, it was a system of principles that he was giving us to keep the body healthy because the healthier the body, the healthier the brain, the healthier the brain, the more developed your mind and the more Christ-like you can become and you better your relationship with him. So it's really a means to, to, in our earthly fallen state, maximize the capacity to come to know and understand and appreciate God. If the mind is imbalanced, however, it affects the health of the brain and the body. And I'm going to walk you through when we talk about depression, how Unhealthy thinking patterns, unresolved guilt, unforgiveness, grudge holding, bitterness, all these things will actually react upon the brain, cause brain changes which react upon the the body, causing body changes and vice versa back on each other. So what does this mean? That we are not responsible for the fact we are born in the condition we're born into. Imagine an HIV-infected woman and an HIV-infected man get together and they have a child and that child is born HIV-infected. What did the child do wrong? Nothing. It's not his fault. But does the child still have the entire burden of the disease to deal with? That's every one of us. Don't feel bad you were born into the world a sinner. See, it, when did you choose to become a sinner? The same time that little baby chose to be HIV infected. We didn't. We're all sinners because Adam and Eve chose to become sinners. And all of us were born, Psalms 51, born in sin, conceived in iniquity. It's not our fault. We don't need to feel bad. We were born this way. However, even though it's not our fault, we still have the entire burden of the devastation of sin to deal with. We need a Savior. We cannot heal ourselves. Think about that HIV-infected baby. Maybe it's not his fault. It's not his fault. Needs, But is there anything that baby can do to heal itself? Is there anything within itself that it can do to make that HIV go away? It needs a cure, a remedy outside itself to be brought in to heal and regenerate and restore. We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. We need a Savior. We are responsible, therefore, for the choices we make. That little baby, as it grows up HIV infected, if there's a cure and a remedy that's offered free, the child, as it grows into the age of responsibility, will be responsible for whether it takes the remedy or rejects the remedy. Likewise, we, it's not our fault we're born in sin. It's not our fault we struggle with weaknesses. But there is a remedy free. And this remedy works and it heals. And it's procured for us at great expense by Jesus Christ. And it will be our fault if we choose not to take the remedy. And our choices will impact our physical and spiritual development. 
So let's put it all together through an exploration of depression. First, just to let you know what depression is. Depression is not simply a sad or down or dysphoric or unhappy mood. Not a period where you're just crying for a couple of days. No, depression is actually dysfunction in the brain itself, as you're going to discover. And because it's dysfunction in the brain itself, the various experiences that we experience are altered. For instance, we have alteration in sleep, alteration in energy, alteration in appetite, alteration in thinking, uh, feelings of sadness and depression, loss of ability to experience pleasure, suicidal thoughts or ruminations, feelings of worthlessness, which persist for two weeks or more and undermine our ability to function. So we don't function in a healthy or normal way anymore. So let's talk about this. We're going to use the metaphor of a fire alarm in the school building. I don't, oh, there's one right over here, right over here on the wall. See the little fire alarm on the wall, everybody, over here? Okay, that nicely is red here. That's our amygdala in our brain. The amygdala in our brain is our fire alarm. Now, if we pull that fire alarm over there, it, it alarms and alerts the 911 operator. The 911 operator in our brain is our hypothalamic pituitary axis. This hypothalamus connected to your pituitary gland. That's our 911 operator. Now, when the 911 operator gets the signal, what's the job of the 911 operator? Fire alarm over at the church. What's the 911 operator's job? Call emergency responders, right? So when the hypothalamic pituitary axis gets the, the alarm from the amygdala, it calls in your adrenaline and your stress hormones and your emergency responders. And then once the emergency responders come out to the church, come out to the site of the fire, there's usually a fire chief on the scene who assesses the intensity of the blaze, looks at how many emergency responders they have, and when there's enough, set signals back to the 911 operator and says, hey, even though that alarm's still blaring, we've got plenty of responders, you don't need to send any more. Those are hippocampal neurons. As the glucocorticoid stress hormone levels rise under the impact of this call from the 911 operator, the hippocampal neurons register that rise of stress hormones and send a signal back to the 911 operator saying, hey, we got enough. You don't need to send any more. That's pretty cool stuff. Let me tell you how this works. Let's say you're out this weekend with your family at the park. You're taking a nice stroll, and as you're about to step forward, in the corner of your eye, out in the grass, you see something black and slithery down at your feet. What might you do? Might you alarm? Might you startle? Might you scream? Yes. What happens, what happens is your amygdala will fire. It will call your 911 operator. Your 911 operator will call to your adrenal cortex, all those emergency responders. Your stress hormones will kick up. Your heart rate will kick up. Your blood pressure will kick up. Your breathing will kick up. Your blood will be shunted away from your skin and your gut into your muscles. You're ready to rock and roll out of there. And about that time, the prefrontal cortex where you do your thinking catches up and goes, it's just a rubber hose. Haven't we all had something like ha- that happen before? Yes, yes okay. And, and, and notice, when the prefrontal cortex, the part where you do your thinking and reasoning, recognizes it's a rubber hose, what happens? You calm down. You relax. You see, the prefrontal cortex is where you do your thinking and reasoning, those higher faculties that God gave us, and it sends a signal down, calming and turning off the alarm. It's the part of our brain that processes our emotions, that understands our emotions, that modulates our emotions. And thus, as we have healthy prefrontal cortex, we're able to deal with our emotions in healthy and mature ways. But what happens to somebody who is not able to send a signal down? And in fact, people who have... Well, let's go through some examples. 
post-traumatic stress disorder. You've probably heard of it. People who've been abused in situations, soldiers coming back from war, they can have problems where this amygdala never shuts off. It just, it just fires all the time, fires all the time, fires all the time because they're tense. They're, they're, well, I'll tell you why that would be. Imagine as an American right now that you are walking alone on the streets of Baghdad. Right now. Do you think that you would be able to walk in a relaxed and e- at ease fashion? Or do you think your alarm would be going off at every little sound you hear? You're checking over your shoulder? Okay, when you're in an environment like that, like our soldiers are, they can come back and this can be upregulated where it's got a, 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 a more of a trigger, hair, hair trigger where it fires much easier because they have been conditioned for that experience. People that worry a lot, worry about what others think of them. Oh, they're going to they're gonna think my hair is ugly. They're going to think my shoes are stupid. No, they're not going to want to talk to me. I'm going to just embarrass myself. The worry, 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 worry fires the amygdala. Grudge holding, resentment, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness fires the amygdala. When you cheat on your spouse, fires the amygdala. Why? Well, you cheat on your spouse, you're going to be worried you might get caught. Anxious, worried, unable to relax, guilt feelings fire the amygdala. Chronic pain states, anybody who is in chronic pain, through a whole different mechanism, coming up out of the spine, the, the tracks that, that signal a peripheral sensation will fire the amygdala. Why? Well, right now as you're sitting here, if something sharp grabbed your leg, would you jump? Yes, this is it's designed that way, that we startle very quickly to alert us to some danger. But if somebody has a chronic pain state, it's con- constantly sending pain signals, well, it can't, constantly fires this thing as well. What's the problem with that? If this amygdala keeps firing, if it never gets turned off, then it activates another part of our nervous system called the sympathetic nervous system, which activates some white blood cells called cytokine, excuse me, called macrophages, which begin releasing toxic little terrorists called cytokines. These toxic little terrorists, and that's what I call them, go around doing several bad things in our body. One, they damage the insulin receptors in our body. Two, they kill your fire chief. They actually damage the, the, the receptors and the neurons in the brain that recognize the, the rising stress hormones. So we lose the feedback here. We lose the, the inhibition. We lose the signal telling the 911 operator to turn off. So the 911 operator is loosed and she just starts calling in all these stress hormones. So the stress hormones start rising in our body. The stress hormones, for those of you who have a medical background, are called glucocorticoids as well as the adrenaline and noradrenaline. The glucocorticoids are, are stress steroids that cause causes your body to release blood sugar. It raises your blood sugar. At the same time, you're becoming insulin resistant. Anybody see a problem with that? Okay. And so when this process happens like this, we have increasing risk of diabetes, increasing risk of obesity, increasing risk of high cholesterol, bad cholesterol, hypertriglyceridemia, increasing risk of strokes, increasing risk of heart attacks, bone density problems. The bones start to atrophy away. We get osteoporosis. We get autoimmune problems. All this coming because of alterations in the thinking process is not being able to turn off the amygdala, which is our fear center. And remember we talked about this morning, that lies believed break the circle of love and trust result in fear and selfishness firing this process which leads to ultimately death in the end this whole cascade of destructive events now I tell you all this yes these are the chronic worries and some of these post-traumatic stress we just talked about let's talk about um, I want to take you one, one or two steps deeper can we go a couple steps deeper Okay. 
those stress hormones, those glucocorticoids, if they keep, if they keep firing, if they keep being released, they will actually turn off a, a gene in your brain that produces a protein called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Now, you don't have to get scared by that name. Brain-derived simply means it is derived from the brain. The brain makes it. So this is made in the brain. Neurotrophic means it builds the neurons up. It makes the neurons stronger. So it's a factor that makes the neurons stronger, made by the brain itself. And you can just think of it as fertilizer for the neurons. When the neurons get it, they grow stronger. They branch out. They connect. You can learn faster. You can learn easier. When the neurons don't get it, they actually begin withering and dying. And I will tell you why about that in just a moment. But when the stress hormones keep rising, the glucocorticoids, they shut off the gene that produce this protein. When this protein is no longer being produced, the neurons in the hippocampal regions of the brain uh, begin to die, and the hippocampuses of our brain begin to shrink. And this is what correlates with major depression. This is what correlates with major depression. Protein production, gene alterations, because of this unremitting process uh, going on in the brain of the stress. So what kind of thing, spiritual factors fire the amygdala constantly? Well, the violations of law of liberty we talked about this morning. When you're in a situation in which your liberty is being violated, when your individuality is being submerged in that of another, or if you're violating somebody else's freedoms, then you will have the guilt process which will violate this. Violations of the law of worship. Why violations of the law of worship? And we're going to talk a lot about that in our next talk on forgiveness, because almost all the myths of forgiveness, seven myths of forgiveness in our next talk, almost every one of those myths are due to some misunderstanding about God and how God deals with us in the sin problem. But if we believe lies about God, if we have unhealthy worship and we believe that God really can't be trusted, it incites fear. And if we incite fear, we're keeping the amygdala fired and that therefore contributes to this process. And so we don't trust God with our problems. We hold on to our problems because how can we trust somebody that we're currently believing lies about really isn't in our best interest, somebody who's a, a stern dictator, somebody who is uh, going to require appeasement. Let me just ask you a question. There's a door over here and there's a door to, to, over there, door on either side of the, of the church. In your imagination, imagine that if you walk through the door to the right, you're immediately, immediately in the very physical presence of Jesus. If you walk through the door on the left, you're immediately in the very physical presence of the Father. Which door do you choose? Why? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. There would be no difference if we understand what Jesus taught, but almost everybody chooses Jesus because they have lies in their head about the Father that they don't feel comfortable and trust him like they do Jesus. We need to purge those lies out of our mind. Violations of the law of love we talked about this morning, unforgiveness, grudge holding, all those things violate a continue to fire the amygdala. So what if the amygdala never stops? Well, we just talked about uh, that, that whole cascade of events. And this is what it says in the Psalms. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. This sounds like somebody who's depressed. And you notice he says his bones are in agony. We actually know now when people have depression, they actually get osteoporosis. The bones get weak. Well, this is what the Proverbs say. Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Uh, Proverbs 15.30, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Uh, Proverbs 17.22, a cheerful heart is good like a medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Isn't that interesting? 
4,000 years ago, God's Word is telling us that when we worry, when we don't trust God, when we have chronic, unremitting fear, we're going to have a cascade of events that will ultimately impact our bones, and sure enough, it does. But if we have a cheerful heart, if we keep a positive outlook, if we don't worry, if we trust God, then we will be at greater protected uh, advantage and not developing a, a depression and some of the physical consequences that come. Now, let's go one more step deeper. I told you that, I told you that the chronic worry with the unremitting stress, with the stress hormones, will shut off that protein, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Brain-derived neurotrophic factor, however, is not produced off the DNA as brain-derived neurotrophic factor. When the DNA is read and it produces the protein, the, the translation RNA uh, goes to the messenger RNA, goes to the transcription RNA, and produces a protein. The protein that is actually produced is a precursor protein called pro-brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or pro-BDNF. And interestingly enough, this precursor protein is like weed killer for your neurons. If it hits a neuron, it will kill it. It will, it will knock it down. It will cause it to wither and die. But if an enzyme is available that will cleave ProBDNF, it cleaves it, it cuts it in the right spot, it will turn it into brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is like fertilizer for your neurons, make the neurons grow stronger. Well, I would want some of that, that protein around, wouldn't you? Uh, that, that enzyme. Well, how, what determines whether a particular neuron or neural circuitry has that enzyme to cleave ProBDNF, the, the weed killer, and turn it into fertilizer? This is so cool. The electrical firing pattern or activity of the neuron itself. If the neuron is being used, it produces this enzyme, cleaves ProBDNF into BDNF, and it gets stronger and branches out and gets healthier. If it's not being used, then ProBDNF comes in and will start pruning back the neural net. Let me tell you how this works. You're in high school and you're taking a foreign language class, let's say Spanish. And you're studying Spanish for the first time and and you're memorizing words. You're making a choice with the will because the will chooses which neurons fire. You're making a choice with the will to activate new neural circuits to learn and memorize these words. And as you do, the enzyme is produced, cleaves pro-BDNF into BDNF, and then the neural circuitry expands. Dendrites shoot out. Connections are made. And the circuitry continues to expand. The more you speak, you not only get more a vocabulary, you get better syntax, you get better enunciation, the whole thing is improving. And then you graduate high school, and 20 years go by, and you haven't spoken Spanish, and you go on a, and a mission trip's coming up, we're going to go to a Spanish-speaking country. Now, what were those words? <laughs> What's happened for the last 20 years? They haven't been used, Pro-BDNF has been coming in and pruning back that network. Cutting it back, pruning it back. Now, this is not just for learned material. This is not just for, for um, the stuff you studied in school. This is for habit patterns. You see, if we have bad habits that we repeat over and over and over again, we're firing the circuit. As we fire the circuit, it produces the enzyme, cleaves this weed killer into fertilizer, and that circuit grows stronger. When we begin to practice healthier behaviors with the choice of the will, God, grace, strengthening the will, that we make healthy choices and think in healthy ways, let that unhealthy circuit lie dormant. Over the course of time, it will be pruned back and it will get weaker while the healthier reasoning processes get stronger and stronger. Everything depends on the right action of the will. Now, I want you to think about your imagination. We talked about this yesterday, and I told you I would tell you a little more about it tonight. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 
You say you commit murder, you commit sin. I say if you hate your brother in your heart. You say if you commit adultery, you commit sin. I say if you look at another woman with lust in your heart, you're committing sin with her. The Bible says in James chapter 1, no one should say God tempts. God doesn't tempt anyone. Each one of us are tempted when we're drug away and enticed by our own evil desire. When the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You see, Having feelings that tempt us, being tempted is not sin. That's not sin. Jesus had all that, didn't he? Wasn't he tempted? Yeah, it's not sin. It's when the, the, the temptation is conceived, then it gives birth to sin. And the conception of the sin is the consent of the will. When you choose it in your heart, when you tempt it and you go, yes, I would like that. That's firing neural patterns. So... You think about any, uh, think about the lusting after the woman in your heart. If you lust after her in your heart, you're firing the same paths that you would be firing if you were actually engaged in that activity. I told you uh, last night, for those who were here, they've done PET scans on people. They put them in a PET scanner. They have them, a PET scanner actually scans the neurons that are firing in real time. So you can have people do things and you can see which parts of the brain light up and fire while they're doing the activity. And they put them in the PET scanner and they have them play a, a piano piece on a keyboard. And they see which neurons fire in which pattern. And then they take the piano away or the keyboard away and they tell them to imagine playing the exact same song. But don't move any fingers. And so they do. And the exact same neural circuits fire when they play the song in their imagination. Thus, when we do these things in our imagination, we are firing the neural circuits. This enzyme is being produced. The weed killer is not coming in to prune back the unhealthy circuit. We're getting the fertilizer, which is strengthening the unhealthy circuit. Our characters cannot be transformed. Thus, the Bible says we must bring every thought into captivity to Jesus Christ. So brain changes that happen when people are depressed. Whereas brain impaired brain metabolism, the metabolism, the use of glucose slows down. Neural signaling is impaired. Impaired neurogenesis, that's the making of new neurons. Oh, I'll just take a little aside and I just have to tell you this. It's so cool. How many remember being told that all the brain cells you have or all the cells you'll ever get and you'll never get any new ones? Anybody remember being taught that? You see, uh, the young people haven't been taught that. Us old people have been taught that. But the truth is, that's not true. We, the brain makes new neurons. Under the influence of these proteins, new neurons would be produced when the brain is working in its normal way. Uh, the question, where does a brain get the substrate to build a new neuron? You see, most cells of your body will divide by the cell going in, into cell division and making another copy of itself. But a brain cell may have 10,000 connections to other cells. It can't disengage from those 10,000 connections while maintaining your good thinking and all the function that neuron's doing and split into another one to make another cell. Where does a brain cell come from? Bone marrow stem cells. Stem cells out of the bone marrow will differentiate into um, neurons. Now, interestingly enough, I hope some, got some people going, I hope the wheels are turning out there, and you go, well, what about people who've had a bone marrow transplant? You see, when you have a bone marrow transplant, whose bone marrow stem cells are circulating in your body, yours or the donor? The donor. Well, then what's happening in the brain? Are we getting neurons with our DNA, or are we getting neurons with the donor's DNA? Well, they've done autopsies on people, and sure enough, they've looked at men who've had uh, bone marrow transplants from women, because it's really easy to see those types of cells, because they're XX versus XY, and you can see the chromosomal differences. And they've looked at autopsies with, with uh, women who'd had bone marrow transplants from men, and sure enough, there are neurons in the brain 
The woman who's had the, had the uh, bone marrow transplant from a man has neurons in her brain with XY chromosomes, and the man has neurons in the brain with XX chromosomes. He had a transplant from a woman. Is that fascinating? Yeah, I mean, we are incredibly and wonderfully made. And, and maybe it's just another layer of meaning when, when uh, the Bible says the life is in the blood. Maybe another layer of meaning. So impaired neurogenesis, neuronal loss, the neurons begin to lie, hippo, uh, begin to die, and hippocampal volumes begin to, to shrink. And I'm going to show you some pictures of that in just a moment. Impaired electrical activity, the electrical firing of the neuron is slowed way down when people are depressed. Protein production, we've already talked about, is off when people are depressed. Altered gene expression and impaired prefrontal cortex, where you do your thinking and reasoning, isn't working right when people are depressed. This is that picture I was going to show you. This is... Oops. Okay. This is the magnified portion of this part. This is the hippocampus right here. And this is the magnified portion of a normal person's hippocampus. You see the size. Now, this is the size of somebody who's depressed. About 50% smaller. We've lost that much volume out of the hippocampus. And when we treat people for depression, ultimately depression will clear when this neurotrophic factor gets turned back on and the hippocampal volumes increase back to normal, the depression goes away. This is a brain illness. Yes, the hippocampal volumes will increase again. Exactly. And then this is a PET scan showing the actual metabolic activity in the brain of a normal person. All the bright lights and bright colors are the normal brain. You notice the the brain of the depressed person, it's very dark. Not a lot of activity going on because the actual physiology of the brain is not working properly when people are depressed. So the body changes, we get insulin resistance and increased risk of diabetes, cholesterol problems, increased pain, actually I didn't go into, but when people are depressed, they actually experience pain worse, increased risk of stroke, heart attacks, electrical problems of the heart, which are arrhythmias in the heart, uh, they get uh, increasing risk of those types of problems, altered platelet stickiness when people are depressed, interesting left, your blood becomes stickier and it's easier to clot, therefore you have more risk for heart attacks and strokes, not unrelated to the rising cholesterols. Uh, alteration in bone density and alterations in immune response and so forth. So contributing factors to depression. Adam and Eve sinned. That's what happened. And what happened when they sinned? We went through this. So we're going to run. We went through it like three times already. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But broken love and trust resulting in, you know, lies believe, break the circle of love and trust, result in fear and selfishness, which result in destructive acts, which result in damage to mind character and body. This is a terminal condition without intervention, without God's plan to heal and restore. And it is a plan to heal and restore. And in our next talk, I'm going to give you some specifics about that plan. Uh, But it's a plan to actually regenerate and heal, not simply a plan to get legal pardon. Contributing factors, psychological and spiritual defects. So as we look at somebody who's got depression, they can have problems in the software that cause depression. They can have problems in the hardware, which either in the brain itself or indirectly in the hardware in the body, the organs that support the brain. And so defects in the body can cause depression. Defects in the brain can cause depression. And what we talked about in this first section were defects in software, all that spiritual stuff, unhealthy thinking, grudge holding, lack of forgiveness. Those are software defects that can actually contribute to depression. Now let's look at some of the hardware issues. Biologic factors, your genes, if you're of a family history of lots of, of lots of depression, you're going to be genetically more vulnerable to developing depression because the, the proteins that the brain produces are all genetically driven and determined. Women have higher rates of depression than men. This is biologically based. Every cell in a woman's body is different than a cell in a man's body, and there are biological reasons for this, unrelated just to estrogen and progesterone. There's actually other reasons for this. 
uh, age, adolescence, and the elderly. Adolescence are a time of great, tr- great flux in both hormones and brain development, and thus it puts them in greater risk for depression during the adolescent phase. And in the elderly, there's major body changes occurring. The organs are starting to fail, as well as the brain is starting to atrophy, and so the, the uh, person becomes more at risk for depression. And then history of the previous illness. In other words, if you had depression in the past, your risk of depression in the future goes up because of these factors we went about how the brain is pliable and changeable. And if you've had these pathways firing in unhealthy ways, then it's easier to get them to fire again and we can end up with depression. So what are specific biological factors? Any major medical illness. If you've got diabetes, if you've got cancer, if you've got AIDS, if you've got uh, heart disease, if you've got a terminal illness of any kind, any major medical illness is draining the energy of your vital organs. The organs support the functioning of the brain, and so you're going to be at more risk of developing depression because the organs aren't able to do the job to keep the, the brain functioning at its optimum anymore. Nutritional deficiencies, and I will go into some specific nutritional things that your brain really needs and is good for your brain, and which I take every day to keep my brain healthy, and I will tell you about those in a moment. But if you're deficient in certain nutrients, you're much more at risk for depression. Limited physical activity. When you exercise on a regular basis, the brain produces more of the brain-derived neurotrophic factor. You get more of the good stuff that your brain needs when you exercise regularly, as well as other capillary uh, developing factors. Uh, As you exercise, your brain will make more capillaries, which will allow the blood flow to be more efficient, which gives you more oxygen and nutrients to your brain to keep your brain healthier. Uh, Alcohol and drugs, which, of course, interfere with the functioning of the brain and can contribute to depression. Pregnancy. Pregnancy is a major contributing factor to depression. You've got a parasite sucking away your, your, your nutrients uh, on your body. <laughs> she said, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, that's, that's you know, kind of what's happening. You've got this other living organism sucking away your nutritional status. And there are specific uh, nutrients that are very important that the, uh, that the fetus will take from the mother and markedly increase risk of, of depression and, and also postpartum depression. I'll tell you about that when we get to the nutritional state. Uh, Northern Hemisphere. Living in the Northern Hemisphere, and Florida is going to be a little more protected than other parts of North America. Uh, but the alterations in sunlight in wintertime affect uh, the circadian rhythms, which increase risk of seasonal uh, depression. Infections that attack the brain, HIV, tertiary syphilis, prions, which are mad cow disease, um, and uh, various other viruses which attack the brain tissue itself can cause depression. Toxins of all kinds, mercury, lead, arsenic, bismuth, industrial solvents, chemical pollutants. And let me tell you, I think this is one of the major factors going on in our society today. We live in a polluted world, and this pollution is going to be impacting us, and I think it's a factor that's uh, contributing to increasing rise in these things. So toxins that, that injure the brain. Hormonal irregularities, hypothyroidism, estrogen problems, testosterone problems, progesterone problems can contribute to to increasing uh, risk of depression, the brain not working right. Obviously, brain injury, brain damage, traumatic brain injuries where people have been in severe motor vehicle accidents and and been in coma for days or have been shot in the head and not died and these types of things. I had a patient who uh, was working on a roof and and he uh, had kind of an Afro hairdo and he stepped past a high voltage line with like 10,000 volts and his hair brushed it and he got jolted with 10,000 volts and it fried a bunch of his neurons. He didn't die, but a bunch of his neurons, you did scans on them, were all kind of fried in there. He had problems with depression, brain injury, problems with depression. Sleep disorders, I'll mention this quickly, obstructive sleep apnea. Obstructive sleep apnea is a disorder in which the soft tissues close over the back of the throat. And so when you're asleep at night, your diaphragm will try to expand the lungs to give you oxygen, but the soft tissues are covering the, the windpipe, and so you're going... And no air is moving. With that happens, then oxygen level falls. And let me tell you, your brain likes oxygen, okay? 
And so the oxygen levels falls, and when that happens, it alerts your brainstem, which signals you to wake up, and you wake up just enough to tighten up the, the musculature in the back of the throat, and you go, <gasps> and you get some oxygen. As soon as that happens, you fall back to sleep. So all night, you're in and out of sleep on the first stage only. You're not going through all the stages, the deep restorative sleep that you need, and you're going to have increasing risk of depression, cognitive problems, memory problems, irritability, headaches, fatigue, all these things. So if you have a sleep disorder, no treatment will really help it until you treat the sleep disorder. You need your healthy sleep. Uh, medications, lots of medications, and I'm not going to go through these, but it, lots and lots of medications can contribute to depression. Chronic pain states, I already mentioned and told you why. Brain diseases, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, Lou Gehrig's disease, Pick's disease. Lots of diseases that attack the brain uh, can uh, cause depression. So i got a question for you, true or false? If someone has depression, it is always a spiritual problem or a problem with their faith in God. You are so smart. You're exactly right. False. And it's important to recognize because I have patients that come to see me uh, in depression. They feel awful, terrible, guilt-ridden coming to see me. And they'll say things, well, if I had more faith, if I just had more faith, I wouldn't have depression. No. That's like saying, if I had more faith, I wouldn't have cancer. I wouldn't have diabetes. I wouldn't have high blood pressure. Now, what I said earlier today, spiritual factors can contribute to depression and sometimes do. But that doesn't mean that all depression is due to spiritual factors. And that's a mistake many, many well-intentioned people make. And thus we inadvertently put guilt trips on our brothers and sisters who we have uh, in our community that are struggling with depression. We can send messages, oh, if you just prayed more, if you just prayed more, if you just had more faith. And, and, and this guilt trip is put on people and they feel like, and I've even had preachers say, when we come to the right relation with Jesus and we know we're a child of God, away with depression, away with low self-esteem and all this kind of stuff. Uh, they don't understand the physiology behind the disorder. So psychological and spiritual factors contributing. Wait a minute. Didn't we just talk about medical illnesses, pregnancy, chronic pain states, brain disease and brain injury as part of the hardware contributing factors? Why are they over here on software side? Well, let me ask you. If uh, you ended up with cancer, having lived your life all the, following all the health principles of, of the church... And you end up with cancer. Do you think you could be questioning, God, well, why did this happen to me? I did everything just like I was supposed to do. How could you let this happen to me? I didn't do anything bad. I didn't deserve this. Do you think this could be a spiritual crisis? Yes. These things not only have the hardware attack on the brain tissue itself, but it results in significant psychological processing through to come to peace. And so we have a psychological software, spiritual peace to deal with as well. Uh, disconnected from God. People who aren't connected from God uh, obviously don't have as much peace and well-being and trust. They don't have someone to take their problems to, and so they they feel burdened, exhausted, and have increasing risks of of depression. Unhealthy worship, we talked about some of that today. Unhealthy styles of worship are damaging to the mind, inflamed fear, inflamed insecurity. Uh, Violations of God's law, we talked about those today for the same processing reasons isolation. We are social beings. And the church is a place where we come to meet and support and encourage each other. And I know people who go to church each week, but, but they feel alone. They come to church and no one talks to them. I'm not saying in this church now, okay? I mean, I'm not saying that. Okay, I'm talking my patients in their church go to church and no one talks to them. They sit isolated. They sit disconnected. They feel like no one cares. This is an increasing risk factor for depression. History of abuse, and I will give you some reasons for the history of abuse in just a moment. Loss, uh, loss of loved one, loss of health, loss of finances, loss of job, loss of spouse, loss of child, loss of anything. Loss results in heartbreak results in spiritual crisis and can result if it's not processed through in a healthy way depression 
unresolved guilt we talked about, unhealthy relationships. That is huge. We could spend a whole weekend on unhealthy relationships. People get into relationships which are damaging and destructive and can result in depression. And instead of extricating themselves out of it, they get trapped in some, in some idea that, that they're supposed to stay in a relationship in which their individuality is being destroyed and their usefulness for God is being erased. But Christ himself said, those who love the family members more than me aren't fit for me. Our number one duty. What's the greatest of all the commandments? Love who? God, and, and second commandment? Love the neighbors yourself. Where does a spouse fall? In the God category or your closest neighbor? Boy, wouldn't it have been good if Adam would have remembered that? Man. And so many people put their spouse before God. We have a responsibility. What that law means is our number one responsibility is to present ourselves to God in the best condition for the greatest usefulness in his cause possible. And number two, serve our spouses. But serve God first, serve spouse second. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Unhealthy relationships will, will, will damage our usefulness for God. Forgiveness issues, we're going to talk seven minutes of forgiveness right after this. Unremitting stress, real or imagined. Okay, and violations of God's law, the laws of health, the laws of nature, and we don't even have time to go all through these, so I'm just going to tell you, the laws of health. You do all those unhealthy principles, you damage the hardware, you damage the physiology, it contributes to increasing risk of depression, laws of nature. These are the things where you, where you get in those car wrecks when you're not wearing your seatbelt. This is the, the laws of motion, the laws of deceleration, the laws of gravity, the laws of thermodynamics. If you violate those and injure yourself, you can increase the risk of, de- of depression. The laws of worship we talked about, liberty and love. Okay. Unhealthy worship issues. We talked about those in our, in our Demolishing Satan Strongholds today. There was a list of Demolishing Satan Strongholds were all related to unhealthy forms of worship. Child abuse. Many people wonder about this. Why is child abuse so devastating? And why was such strong warning against child abuse? Why did Jesus give such a strong warning? Uh, in order to understand this, I need to just tell you a little about brain development. When children come into the world, they come into the world with, with hundreds of millions of neurons in their brain at birth more than they have by the time they're eight years of age. The first eight years of life, the brain is busy killing off neurons by the hundreds of millions. It doesn't sound really too good on the surface, if you think about it. But here's a way to conceptualize it. Think about Michelangelo's block of marble when Michelangelo gets it, and Michelangelo's block of marble when Michelangelo is done with it. When he's done, does he have less marble? But he's got a masterpiece, you see? The brain comes into the world prepared to be acted upon by education, experience, environment. And the neurons from that process I've already told you, which are being utilized, are kept where the neurons which are not being utilized are deleted. And so those childhood, early childhood experiences are vital to developing healthy brain, which can help us with healthy character down the road. So with that in mind, think about if... um, the, the limbic system, prefrontal cortex, we've talked about. Limbic system where you get all those emotions and passions. Prefrontal cortex where you do your thinking and reasoning, where those higher cortical functions are. When there's an imbalance between those two, if you're on your, ho- on your way home today and on the interstate somebody cuts you off and you get an aggressive urge to be ugly, probably never happens in Florida, does it? <laughs> that aggressive urge is coming out of the limbic system. But if you remember, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I don't want to behave like that and you restrain yourself, that's your prefrontal cortex. Now, disorders in which there's an imbalance, where the, where the limbic system is working like at, at 100%, but prefrontal cortex is impaired, not working like it should. Classic examples, attention deficit disorder, where they have dopamine signaling problems, that's a brain chemical, not enough in the prefrontal cortex, so the prefrontal cortex isn't working, and the core feature of attention deficit is the impulsivity, inability to restrain themselves acting out. 
Alzheimer's dementia, lose neurons in the prefrontal cortex. As people dement, the limbic system's still working and they get disinhibited. They begin acting out violently, sexually, and other ways. Intoxicate somebody with alcohol. You knock down prefrontal cortex. Limbic system's still working. And so everybody knows when people get intoxicated, they become disinhibited and begin acting out. Uh, television watching in children, we talked about last night. Television watching in children for the same process of activating limbic system and turning off prefrontal cortex results in greater violence and acting out. And, and if you want more details on that, we can watch the, watch the one from last night on your website. And then uh, childhood abuse. Imagine that at any moment you believe, you live right now in the mindset that any moment somebody could come in here and beat you severely or rape you. And you believe that could happen eminently. And you've got to go take a final exam at the university with that mindset. Do you think your scores could be impaired? And you have a developed prefrontal cortex. Think about a child whose prefrontal cortex isn't developed, lives in a home in which any moment daddy can come in and molest or beat them. And they live in that environment where they're firing that amygdala, that fear, that anxiety center constantly, constantly, constantly. But the prefrontal cortex isn't even developed yet. Do you think it could impair development of the prefrontal cortex? Yes. And so these kids come into the world not only with, with bad psychology, bad images of themselves, bad relationship dynamics. They come into the world with hardware where the limbic system is overdeveloped so they have powerful emotions. Their ability to process and work through those emotions and, and exercise self-governance is impaired because the, the prefrontal cortex didn't get the exercise it needed. And so they're, they're moody, they're irritable, they're impulsive, they're irrational, they're unreasonable. Now, if anybody in here has struggles with this, this, is, this situation is not hopeless. I have many patients that get well. But we have to understand we're dealing with both software and hardware problems, and we need to intervene in ways that calm limbic system and begin exercising prefrontal cortex to develop that process to be able to work through these powerful emotions. But this is why God hates the, the abusing of children. We damage them so. Nutritional factors, I told you, I'll tell you about omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, omega-3 fatty acids are in a nutrient that your brain and body require but cannot make it. If you don't get this nutrient in the food that you have, your body doesn't have it. Now, in the brain, each individual brain cell has a membrane. The membrane is constructed, like this building is constructed out of brick. The membrane is constructed out of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. If you don't give your brain those, those omega-3s, then they use only omega-6s, but that causes the membranes to become more rigid and stiff, less Elastic, less pliable, neural signaling is impaired, and you have higher rates of depression. And bipolar disorder, by the way, is associated with omega-3 deficiency. Postpartum depression is, is related to omega-3 deficiency because breast milk is high in omega-3s and will take the, uh, the omega-3s from mother and give to the infant, depleting further the omega-3s. And actually, recent studies have shown if you augment uh, the mother during uh, pregnancy and postpartum period with omega-3s, then the risk of postpartum depression goes down. This, this omega-3s do several other good things for you, like raise your good cholesterol and many other good things I don't have time to tell you about. So it's a good stuff. I take 3,000 milligrams of omega-3s a day. Vitamin C is a powerful antioxidant which scavenges up free radicals. Free radicals damage your neurons. And the omega-3s actually are, are uh, free radical scavengers in the membranes of the neurons. Vitamin C in the cytoplasm. Once, it, once you get inside the neuron, the vitamin C is there to scavenge up free radicals. So they are very protective for your brain cells. Uh, folate. Folate uh, is another factor that is uh, involved in brain health and brain metabolism, as well as the B vitamins. And, uh, and we're going to talk about this process with homocysteine. In, in cellular metabolism and throughout your body all day long, uh, chemical reactions require a chemical group to be donated called a methyl group. An amino acid called methionine donates that methyl group. 
And when it donates it, you get this product here called a homocysteine. Now, you don't need to know all those details. I tell you that to tell you this. Imagine taking a, a, a piece of bob wire and dragging that piece of bob wire through a soft rubber hose. What do you think would happen inside the rubber hose? It's going to be nicked up and, and scraped up. That's what homocysteine is doing throughout your body. It actually nicks up the endothelial linings, the linings of your blood vessels throughout your body as it circulates. Pardon? Is it on the sheet? Pardon? Yeah, people can be filling out the sheets. I hope they are, yeah. Okay, I don't know. Okay. Um, homocysteine is, is nicking up the endothelial linings and, um, and increasing risk of ischemic heart attacks and strokes, as well as homocysteine is damaging to the neurons. But folate B6 and B12 are involved in the metabolic processes to eliminate it. There are two pathways to get rid of it. If you're low in B6 and B12 and, and folate, your body can't get rid of the stuff that is damaging neurons and damaging your endothelial linings. And so you want to have good amounts of folate in B12 and B6. Um, Yes, so it injures brain cells, elevated homocysteine in your brain cells, uh, impairs cellular metabolism, impairs DNA synthesis and repair, uh, increased toxic stress on brain cells, which can contribute to, to depression and other problems, Depress, uh, damages the, the lining of the, of the blood vessels, and low folate is more common in depressed patients. So, so people who are depressed, if you take it, they have less folate than people who are not depressed. And depressed patients uh, with low folate have poor outcomes. They don't respond as well to treatment, whatever the treatment you give them. And folate supplementation re- improves response regardless of what treatment you give them. And then B12 levels in vegetarians. 78% of vegans were low in B12. 78%. 24% of lacto-vegetarians were low in B12. 0% of omnivores were low in B12. Homocysteine levels in vegetarians. Elevated homocysteine levels in 53% of vegans, 29% of lacto-vegetarians, and 5% of omnivores. Does this mean meat-eating is healthy? No. <laughs> it doesn't mean that at all. We live in a society uh, that meat-eating is not healthy if you have better alternatives. There are actually some places in the world where people are starving to death, and having a little chicken would be better than not eating at all. So we have to put it in context. If you have better alternatives, meat-eating is not healthy. Uh, industrial meats in our country, even if you think you're eating the so-called clean, clean meats that the Bible talks about, you're not eating clean meats anymore. The cows are fed other cows. Uh, they're hit up with hormones and, and, and antibiotics and all this other stuff. That's where mad cow disease came from. They were feeding the remnants of the, of the slaughtered cows back to the cows. Now they have rules. You can't feed the, sla- the, the cows the, the brain tissues and neural tissues of the slaughtered cows, but you can still feed them all the other remnants of the, of the slaughtered cows. And that's what they're eating in this industrial meat production society that we live in. Um, they're high in hormones uh, that they give them to cause them to accelerate. Chickens, if you know industrial chickens, they, they raise a chicken from, from a chick all the way to a full-grown chicken in like, what was it, six, eight weeks? Something like that. Now, much, much faster than nature because they're giving them all these growth hormones so they can turn around the production faster and make more money. Uh, antibiotics are given to them to keep the sickness down because they're feeding them bad stuff that are making them sick. And, uh, and, of course, animal proteins and fats elevate the bad fats in us and increase our risk. It's not, eat, eat, it's not healthy to eat meat, even though I, what I just pointed out to you. So what does it mean? It means that you need to take uh, B12, B6, and folate supplements. That's what it means. I take, I take a, a pill every day that has um, folic acid, B2, B12, and B6 in it every day. 30, 40% of intrinsic B12 is destroyed by microwave cooking. 
30 to 40% of intrinsic B12 is destroyed by microwave cooking, and 50% of natural folates are destroyed by conventional cooking and higher percentage with microwave cooking. So B12 also requires a low pH to be absorbed in your stomach. So if you're using a PPI, which is like uh, Protonix, Nexium, um, those types of medicines, uh, they raise the pH of the stomach and makes it harder for the body to absorb the B12, even if you're getting it in your food. And if you're on hormone replacement therapy, postmenopausal women, on hormone replacement therapy, it lowers your homocysteine levels. That is a good thing. Okay, so take a daily, re- daily vitamin, uh, that's a recommendation. So why is there an increase? Some people ask me, why is there an increase in mental illness at this late stage in Earth's history? And I think there's a confluence of factors all working together to cause an increase in mental illness. One, uh, the Bible says in Luke that at the end of time, men will run to and fro, their hearts failing them for fear. Fear fires the amygdala, that whole cascade of events resulting in uh, the stress hormones and the, and the whole thing we talked about earlier. So increasing fear is a factor at the end of time. And why is there increasing fear? Because people have lost connection with God. Television watching, it's, uh, we talked about those, those reasons. Increasing alcohol, illegal drugs, caffeine, and tobacco, many more toxins of various kinds that affect our brain, man-made chemicals and pollutants. They actually are now saying that the drinking water in some cities have so many um, chemicals from the things we wash ourselves with, our shampoos, our soaps, that the, that the filtration systems can't get it all out of the water. There's measurable amounts of Prozac in the water in London, uh, the city water in London, because so many people are on Prozac in London. And... Um, so the chemicals, the chemicals that we have in our, our society uh, are cycling back and impacting our brains. Evolutionary theory and humanism, which cuts us off from a, from a relation with God. False views of God taught in mainstream religions. False views of God taught in mainstream religions with incite fear. Uh, change in diet, fast food, microwaves. Dissolution of the family and community networks. And cultural changes which put self at the center, less altruism, and this entitlement mentality that we live in today. All these factors are confluence, coming together, I think, to increase the rates of mental illnesses today. And I'm almost done, I promise. Um, so steps towards a healthier brain and mind. Step one, live in harmony with the laws of health. And I'm going to just run through all these so you can write them down while I'm telling you. Live in harmony with the laws of health. That means the omega-3 fatty acids, uh, vitamin C, vitamin B, folates, healthy diets, regular sleep, uh, water inside and out, breathing clean air. We didn't even talk about that. Avoid harmful substances of all kinds and, and regular sunshine. Uh, all these things are very important. And it is, these are the things you can write down on your, on your handouts. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm giving them a chance. Uh, step two, live in harmony with the uh, laws of nature. You can keep writing while I'm talking. Live in harmony with the laws of nature. That means, uh, for instance, brush and floss regularly. Bl- brush and floss regularly. This is the um, you know, issues related to the laws of thermodynamics. Some, it's also related to the laws of health. They're both involved here because of the bacterial issues. But also, the second law of thermodynamics state if you don't put energy into a system, the system will decay. So if you walk away from your home and you leave it for 10 years and come back, it won't be in as good a shape as when you left it because energy had not been put in. If you don't put energy into keeping your teeth healthy, they will decay. Um, exercise regularly, same reason. If you don't exercise your body, it will decay. And this is one of, the, one of the subtle, in fact, while you're writing this, I'll tell you, I think a subtle little idea that's gotten in the mind of Americans that is contributing to this process, and that is when you turn 65, you retire. I mean, we have that idea, right? Well, if you retire, you die. 
You see, we were given work. Work is good for our life, our livelihood. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you stop, now that doesn't mean you can't leave one job and transition to something else, but you must stay active if you want to live. Stay active mentally, stay active physically. If you stay active, then you live. If you stop staying active, you will die. Wear seatbelts, don't speed, that kind of thing. Keep the brain healthy. So live harmony with the laws of nature. Hold on, I heard. And I told you this was going to go over, and I apologize for that. But the next one will be timely. Okay. Step three, live in harmony with the laws of worship, which is a true knowledge of God. Trust God to take your, uh, your problems to him. The good stress management, weekly rest for your mind. Uh, the, the stress management one, imagine a, a young boy who goes out fishing, and he takes his fishing line, and he throws it out. As soon as it hits the water, he wheels it back in, throws it out. As soon as the water wheels it back in, you know, we take our problems to God, we put them on them, and then we wheel them back in as soon as we, as soon as we get up off our knees, don't we? You see, we have to take our problems and leave the problems that are not our personal responsibility. Don't take your, you know, your, the health of your teeth to God, okay? You need to brush and floss. That's your job. But, um, but the, the problems that are not our responsibility, we need to be able to put them in God's hands and leave them there. It also goes back to the kind of God you believe he is and whether you can trust him. Weekly rest for the mind. This is not the nightly rest for the body. This is the Sabbath rest. Weekly rest. And I have many patients who do not take this rest. And I talk to them about it. And I say, you know, God prescribed for us a weekly rest. And this is critically important that we take this rest, to take time off for all the work and things we do, to allow our minds to rest in our relationship with God, relationship with family. Most people who don't understand and appreciate the Sabbath don't get the weekly rest. And if they were to take the day... They would feel guilty because they have so, many, so much work, laundry, things to do around the house. There's always more to do. And in our society, people can't just take a day off without feeling guilty for leaving something undone. But when you understand God has prescribed for us a weekly day of rest, we are commanded to take a day of rest. Then we can rest every week for 24 hours, not do any of that work, schoolwork, homework, housework, and we don't have to feel guilty about it. How wonderful is that? Expand the mind in contemplating eternal themes. This is, has to go with worship, meditation, and so forth. Avoid filling the mind with unhealthy materials. Prayer, which is conversation with God as with a friend. Talk to him. Tell him what's on your heart. If you're mad at somebody and you're so mad you wish they were dead, say, God, I would just wish that guy was dead. Would you kill him for me? This is what David prayed in the Bible. Read Psalms 137. Blessed is the man who takes his enemy's babies and smashes their heads on the rock. <laughs> Psalms 137. But then he went on to say, but search me, O Lord, and see any wicked way in me, and create, create a clean heart and a right spirit in me, Lord. You see? If you have those feelings in your heart, do uh, you think God doesn't already know it? So when you go to talk to him about it, you're opening the heart for his spirit to come in so he can work on you to transform you so you won't have those feelings anymore. Talk to him about it. Bible study, searching for meaning and intelligent worship. Church fellowship. Harmony with the laws of worship. All these things have to do with healthy worship. Forgiveness received and given. We'll talk about that next. Very important. The Lord is giving you dispensation because my clicker stopped working. (laughs) (laughs) Repentance, a change of heart, a real change of heart. Uh, Repentance is not confession. Repentance is not apology. Repentance is a change of heart. 
where we turn away and no longer in our heart have an attitude or desire for the things. This is a supernatural process. We reach out to God and accept the gift of repentance, and we then choose with our will to align ourselves with his direction for our life. Can we advance, please? Next? Yeah, there we go. Step four, live in harmony with the laws of liberty. Hit it a couple more times until we hit step five. Keep going. There we go. All right, never surrender your individuality to another. Always think for yourself. Present the truth in love. Lead people free. This is Ephesians 4. Present the truth in love. Lead people free. In fact, this is the key to the Sabbath, by the way. You know why the Sabbath is holy? Oh, if I can just take an aside. Can I tell you about this? Why the Sabbath is holy? A lot of people say it's holy because God said so. Well, if that's the reason, then suddenly we've got an arbitrary God. He just picks a day and makes it holy. No, God's not arbitrary. Think of the context. What was happening in the universe when creation week was going on on this planet? What was going on in the rest of the universe? War over? Yeah, Satan had started his allegations. He started misrepresenting God. God began to create. You're that angel in heaven. You got all those lies. Who do I believe? Who do I trust? Uh, who, can, who can I have confidence in? Is Lucifer telling the truth? Is God telling the truth? God begins creating, showing that he's the creator. God creates a creation in his image, in love to reveal him. And on day six... He says, let us make man in our image, this special creation. Now imagine you're that angel in heaven. You've been told that God is a power monger. He's using, he would use his power to hurt you. Now, as you're watching God create, the lies of Satan are going through your mind. And you go, wow. Uh, if you think about the amount of, amount of energy there is in, a, in matter, we can take a few grams of matter, we turn it back into energy, we call it a nuclear explosion. When you take a few grams of matter, turn it back into energy, that's a nuclear explosion. So that's just a few grams. How much energy do you think it took to make this planet? The solar system, the sun of our solar system. Man, this was an incredible display of might and power. And so there's, there's, you're that angel watching this, and you're going, whoa, wonder if Lucifer's right. Why he's just flexing his muscles, trying to intimidate us, tell us we better get in line or else, because he just made some new intelligent life. He can replace us in an instant. And as those lies are going through the minds, God says, universe, you've heard the allegations of Satan. You've seen the evidence that we've just given. Now, universe, take 24 hours aside. I rest my case. Think it through for yourself. No pressure, no coercion. What does it say about God that in the context, look at the context, of an assault on his right to rule, rather than using his power to force people in line, he creates a day for freedom to think. See, the Sabbath is holy because it's invested with the very attributes of God himself. The truth was presented in love and people were left free to think for themselves. And thus, true Sabbath observers at the end of time are those who have characters like Christ who present truth in love, leave others free. Conversely, that beast system is the system who says, you can neither buy nor sell, save you have our mark. A coercive power who takes away freedoms. Okay, and then uh, step five, live in harmony with the laws of, of, of love, loving God, live, love God and, and be a conduit of his love, altruism, esteeming others more highly than yourself. And this is how we know what love is, that Christ gave his life for us and we ought to give our lives for others.